Ultra. Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we crawl our way to the bitter end of the world's end, one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are preparing to annihilate Minute 31, which begins with Gary tripping over a bush and ends with Stephen telling Gary that it's not worth it. And we get a little bit more of a Teenage Fan Club. Yeah. Um, this is the only minute in uh, in the famous cock. Um, so we have to get all of our famous, all of our famous cock talk out of the way in this one. To be really honest, I was literally, um, I, I, I was, so I, I did my, I guess it's not that weird in retrospect. I did, I did my homework for this week before my, my daily vitamin D walk, uh, uh, sometimes twice daily, sometimes just once daily. Uh, (laughs) and I was, I was thinking about the movie while on my walk and, uh, and I was like, God, how do they get through twelve bars? How does it not feel like a long time? I was just uh-huh. this is just just where my mind went, and uh, and then today, and then just now, I'm like, oh right, they're they're only in some of them for like fifty five seconds, <laughs> right? Yeah, there there are two bars in this run of uh, of of the like during this pub crawl. There are two two pubs where they spend like less than a minute inside the pub. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, guess- it's just two. I think I think it's. The famous cock and the tr- uh no the 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 famous cock and the the companions the good companions the famous uh, cock the and one, good companions yeah yeah the one that's in the um uh the middle of the whiskey song section right uh, um, where they favorite. walk in drink it drink and then leave <laughs> yeah one of the most visually satisfying minutes of the whole film for some oh yes very much so definitely uh, <laughs> I yeah oh, it it in, in in hindsight you don't even recognize it when it's happening the him getting barred is such a useful little story tool yes yeah because it tells you a lot about him about gary um even though i I desperately want to know what he did desperately they kind of keep that out there yeah it's but yeah the kind of but i i know i i just admire the uh oh well oh well hey we don't we don't have to be in here very long because he got barred so we're just in and out there's there's a bar down Right, right. And it's it's really great because, one, it tells you the kind of person that he used to be, right? Yeah. And then in tomorrow's minute, you it, it tells you a lot about who he is now and how desperately he wants to complete this uh, right. golden mile, you know? Right, yeah. Um, the lengths that he'll go. Right, right. So he uh, – yeah, I mean it's a, it's a really useful uh, minute. And they use the minute to introduce another character. Yeah. Uh, Which is, uh, of course, Mad Basil, played by none other than Sir David Bradley. I don't know if he's a he's a uh, no. He's a <laughs> it seems like he should be if he's he really not. Should be definitely in a post. You he know, played William Hartnell for Christ's sake. Yeah, he played National Treasure William Hartnell, uh, National Treasure Argus Filch in the Harry Potter film series. I think I'm going to say top five most perfect casting choices in that series. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think you do better than Alan Rickman as Snape. I don't think you do better than Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. I think 
I, uh, I, well, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely Ro- Robbie Coltrane is Hagrid for sure. Um, oh, interesting. And, I, not, I thought you were going to go for, uh, yeah, interesting. I think, I think, um, I think Alan Rickman as Snape is great, mm-hmm. but he's not the Snape in the books. Interesting. Um, and I think part of that is the he's fact good. that he is, I don't know, he's just got a different vibe than the Snape from the books. Like when he's I read the perfect. Snape from the books, I picture more of a, um, like a, I don't like know, a, like a Pete Campbell from Mad Men. Yeah. Someone yeah. A little more, just a little more pathetic, I yeah. guess. Um, not as like, uh, not, I mean, you know, you just can't, it, it's Rickman, you know? Right, right. He's he, got, he's got too much dignity, I think. It, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't go to the school, but, uh, you know, you hear about Song of Ice and Fire readers who, you know, everyone loves Dinklage, but you almost love him too much. Yes, to, the, to right. the point where the character of Tyrion Lannister in the series becomes a much more roguishly heroic scoundrel totally. character, whereas in the book it's much more easy to you buy him spoilers murdering people that are close to him mm-hmm. because he's kind of a bit more of like a, ah, a bit more vicious, a bit less likable. Right, right. Yes, I uh, agree with that. And you know what? I, that that isn't even. I mean, like we didn't even talk about Broadchurch. Yes. Oh man, he, that that is such a heartbreaking role on he's, Broadchurch. He's an incredible actor. Uh, oh. to, to, just to speak a little bit on his career, uh, he was born in York, where mm-hmm. he attended the uh, St. George's Secondary Modern School. Uh, he completed a five-year apprenticeship uh, with an optical instruments maker, yeah. uh, where he remained until he moved to London to train as an actor in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. I uh, joined the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company, the Lawrence Olivier's National Theater Company in the 1970s. And his first television role was a police officer in a comedy. I love, I love, I love the theater's relationship with film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's one of our greatest actors. Okay, here, get, get him a Billy Club. He's a cop. <laughs> He's a cop. <laughs> Uh, make he, him he fall might, over this. Make him fall over this curb or something. Whoa. It's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, he was. A can he, can he hold his hat while he runs? Can you yeah. do that? Can he wave it at Paddington Bear as he's chasing him. <laughs> uh, and he was awarded Lawrence Olivier Award in 1991, the year of my birth, for his supporting role as the Fool in King mm. Lear. Uh, wow! I saw I, I saw King Lear in college. I don't have a. I, I didn't retain a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, his credits are long. He's in one of my personal favorite episodes of Doctor Who: Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Uh, <laughs> to say nothing of Twice Upon a Time. To say nothing of his incredible work as uh, William Hartnell and the First Doctor across yes. universes, right? <laughs> and uh, 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 Twice Upon a Time and an Adventure in Space and Time, which you and I and, and Cassandra Fredrickson talk a lot about in our podcast, The Doctor's Companion. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, we talk about it a lot in our very first episode of The Long Way Round. Oh, that's right. Where it all yeah. started. Yeah, where it all started. That being uh, said, if I could cut back to the first seconds of this this episode in this minute, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to say something just a little bit critical, mostly just to test the waters to see if you agree with this. Okay. Does Gary tripping over the hedge on its own merits minimalize the laugh that he gets when he wrecks all the fences? 
because it's kind of you know what's move. you know what's funny is I have in my notes that when I watched the movie, I thought him tripping over the bushes was the fence jumping moment of this movie, and I was disappointed. Yeah, it's it's just interesting that it's uh, it's only because it is like the same move on the board. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tripping over something, and you're right. Yeah, it it, it does. And I, I say this with all the love in the world, but you know, kind of a half. It appears to be a half-assed callback to that move in Shaun of the Dead, and um, right, that was a weird. But one. but then later you get the real one. Yeah, um, you get the real one, and it's absolutely like a. It's hey, like, it's oh, no, month. this is the one. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's the barn burner. Yeah. And I also think it's, I think it's in the trailers for the movie, the the, the real one. They so, kind of had to. Right, right. So I think I think it's in the trailer for it. And so, um, there, you know, most people listening to this are like, yeah, it was in the trailer. No, no one was confused by this. But you have to remember, we didn't watch the trailers for this. So. Loyal, loyal listeners know that Scott and I walked out of every movie from the winter and spring of 2013. <laughs> yes. In the middle, it's true. Um, Also, I need to point out that behind the gang to the right is a blockbuster video. Definitely, I I noticed video, but you you managed to catch blockbuster. Well, I just see that it's ER video, and it's blue. It's a blue label with uh, yellow letters, and I'm like, well, that can only mean one thing. Yeah, unless for unless listeners, there's another video store that had that kind of. I'd be interested to know about uh, UK centric (laughs) uh, video chains, video store chains. Yeah. I had a weird um, um I had a weird sense memory dream about Blockbuster the other day. Oh yeah? Just just rolling around in the old subconscious. I just remember just doing that walk. Mm. Where I would start at the border of new releases and then make my way into the genres that I felt like seeing that that Friday night after school. Oh. That's how I yeah. would start. I uh I my Blockbuster memories are entirely cuz my parents were divorced. And my, uh, I lived with my mom most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was like a five year period where I lived with my dad, but, uh, you know, growing up, I lived with my mom until I was 10 and that was always a, um, whenever we rented stuff, it was always from like the library or, uh, there oh, was like yeah. a grocery store that would have like a, has like a tiny, like video rental nook. Yes. Definitely. Um, I remember those. Yeah. That's what we would do. Cause they were, they were cheap. It was like either free or like a dollar, you know, yeah, some good um, movies at the library. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then when I would go and visit my dad for the summers, that's when I would do blockbuster. Cause my, my grandma would get uh had a blockbuster card. I mean my dad had one too, but I wasn't allowed to rent anything that um it, like he he rented the movies and I got to watch whatever he rented. <laughs> sure. Um I didn't I didn't get to decide what we were renting. Uh, I would only get God, to decide multiplicity again. <laughs> I mean, I watched that movie a lot. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> I I uh uh but my 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 grandma would let me uh go. So like whenever I I think of um going to Blockbuster, it, it's usually associated with uh spending the weekend with my grandma or oh, nice. um sometimes spending spring break with my grandma and stuff like that because so she would more- just let me she would take me to Blockbuster and just like let me run wild and just rent you know a video game and like a couple of movies or whatever yeah yeah gosh yeah because video games were like shorter right you had you had them for less time yeah 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 it was like a like three days is usually what i did i mean the thing is i didn't beat a lot of them because i liked uh i liked um side scrollers mostly but i wasn't very good at them so 
like I would, I would play them and I would only get like, you know, maybe five levels in and then I'd run out of lives and then I'd have to start over. Cause that's yeah. how games used to work back then. My brain, my brain, I don't know. I, it took me a while before I could finish it. I remember when I finished like Jack two. Yeah. Hearts. I was like, holy shit, I beat it. Cause before most of the time you would just play it and then have to turn it back in. Cause you didn't beat it in time. Right. Right. That was my yeah. life. Or, or you just kept renting the PS one Spider-Man game until you eventually did beat it because you just right. rented it that much. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't remember what the first video game was that I beat. Um, yeah, I really want to say it, it might've been, no, no, please. I want to say, I want to say it might've been, um, Ocarina of time for, nice. The Nintendo 64, which I, you know, I, I think I was in high school at that point. Yeah, I was. Cause I was, I was with, I was living with my mom again at that point. So I think it was in high school when that came out. Um, and, uh, or maybe I, I might've just played it way after everybody else. Um, also that's also a possibility, but right. in any event, I think it was, um, I think it was Ocarina of time was the uh, first game that I played all the way through. Cause there was like a period where, um, nobody was buying me a new game system. And so I wasn't no. playing any new games. Those days were and, over. Yeah. And so like, there was like a, there was like a solid, like, I don't know, four or five year period where I didn't play any video games. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then got back into it when the 64 came out. So, yeah, and that, that story is just so compelling. I remember like staying multiple nights at a friend's house kind of yeah. low key. because like, I don't, I didn't want, I don't want him to beat him without me. I know he will. Fuck yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. something about, I keep my brain keeps intrinsically telling me whenever they enter a new pub that it's vaguely sad. And uh-huh. I'm just now learning that I think that's because there's something to me about pubs in daylight lighting. Yeah. We're just, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that that's part of it. It does feel sad. I think we talked about this before. Uh, the famous cock on like, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think this is the same sign that we had at the beginning. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I remember it being like, like one of the regular pub signs, like the pub style signs that right. they, they all sort of matched, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, now I'm looking at this one and it's like a little fancier cause it's, it's, it's like a three dimensional rooster. Yeah. Well, my, my, my understanding really nice is nice looking. It really, my understanding is that when we saw 20, nine minutes ago or whatever is um the sign that's like by the road oh and this is like the like the sign that's like you know it's it's like the mcdonald's you got the mcdonald's sign on the side of the road but then you got the mcdonald's m on the restaurant right yeah okay you know when you're driving past the chilies you see like the little chili bean yeah sure yeah no this this is uh this is this is nice i i really like um the outside of this the inside of it, it looks like it kind of reminds me of like a, like a pool, hall. like a pool. Well, like a, like a fire station that they've like turned into a pub. Yeah. Like a VFW. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, yeah. It's just like the, 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 the second floor is very interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. A little, uh, what would you call that? Uh, like the extended like a, area, upper area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some truly it does old look like arcade games. What is that behind Basil? This like glassed off area? Oh, it's just a mirror. Okay, it's like the back of his. It's the it's his back. I thought it was someone else like sitting in another room. Like I thought it was a window. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a mirror. Uh, really great. Um, uh, Simon Pegg really selling being excited about going into this bar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
and uh, him telling the the publican, uh, "When you're ready, mate." Uh, just like he's he's ready to go. He he wants uh, round three. Yeah, he's uh, ready to. Yeah, and he's ready to. Uh, and then we get the first appearance. Uh, first appearance of the uh, the bendy straw. Yes, yes, the crazy straw, the crazy bendy straw. Um, it's really good. Most of the crazy straws that I ever got when I was a kid were, um, they were still like in only like, you know, one, like two dimensions or whatever. They, they didn't, the, the wind wasn't like, like this is like that wound around like a, like a water slide. Um, the one I always got was just sort of like loop, like vertical loops upward. And it wasn't, it wasn't such like a, like a, like a big three dimensional piece. Yeah. Um, Water slides are really great call. Yeah, yeah. It just it, it this looks like a water slide whereas um the ones I've used to I'm used to. I guess I don't know if they were just cheaper or maybe they just make them different in America. Um but they uh they weren't they're not as fun. They're certainly not this fun. I like the idea this, of, of England having more can they kind of get out their expressiveness through their their crazy straws. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're so uh, buckled up in every other capacity. Give them a couple gotta, more then. Give them a couple. I got I got a crazy straw. Um Publican three but, played by Nick Holder. Yes. Uh, solid career. Like all these publicans, just salt of the earth, working class actors. He was in a few yeah. episodes of a TV show called London's burning as Terry Martin, 1998 to 99. Before that, he was in something called the fast show where he played various roles. Uh, he was in a few episodes of respectable where he played Barry back in 06. Mm. A lot of TV, just a lot of TV. Uh, did Phantom of the Opera at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, that's right. I think he might be a um, – maybe he's a musical actor. He was in an, uh, he was a, a supporting role in uh, Anna Karenina. Supporting is probably stretching. And he played Station Master. Oh. He was an ensemble member in the 2012 Les Miserables during the Master of the House number with Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh. And Helena Baumkata. God, I always forget that that <laughs> is from Les Miserables. Because I because because it's so out of place it's that almost, it, it, yeah it makes me feel like it belongs in Sweeney Todd. Yes, we, it, it's almost a big lift alligator moment, and that it like if, yeah. if those two characters didn't come back weirdly during after the time jump, it would almost be like have no it has nothing to do with the plot of the story. Yeah, it's very I strange. Guess, I guess it's like this is where Cosette lived after her mom died, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to talk about conspiracy theories. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. So I'm waiting. So so Basil is known as Mad Basil uh, because of his conspiracy theories, and as we learn, his conspiracy theories are what ends up uh, saving him from being uh, turned into a blank. Right. That's why he uses a a crazy straw. Um, <laughs> as we also learn later. Why but do you think yeah, so I want to I want to talk about let's I want to start with so he lists off a few things. They list off a few conspiracy theories and I looked up all of them. Great. Um so <laughs> I thought in their totality. Yeah, so the first one, yeah, so like I'm just going to get all kinds of weird ads for a while, I think. Um <laughs> but I did it for you guys. So uh, uh Never so the first a UFO conspiracist born in May. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I got, um, so I looked up UFOs first 
Mm-hmm. And you know, I went through a I went through a UFO fe- phase when I was a kid and uh, sure. looked up all kinds of UFO stuff and watched UFO documentaries. I mean, I was I was a kid during that like prime uh, era of uh, Beyond Belief Factor Fiction, which aired the special Alien Autopsy episode. Oh, um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I was, uh, I was very much like growing up in, in, you know, the time of the X-Files and all of that stuff. So UFOs were something that was just like part of culture in the, in the nineties. Sure. And then you had Um, X-Files and men in black. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like all of that was just like part of the culture. So UFOs are something that, you know, I've, I, I definitely went through, I mean, I lived through the nineties, so I just, (laughs) I went through that phase whether I wanted to or not. Um, but one thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, there was the very first um, uh, uh, supposed uh, UFO um, to ever be sighted in the history of the world, uh, as far as we know, is in 1440 BC in uh, ancient Egypt, where a, uh, a, a disputed uh, the disputed Tully Papyrus, one of the scribes of the pharaoh Tutmos III, reported mm-hmm. that fiery disks were encountered floating over the skies. Um, so for those of you who believe in uh, ancient aliens, I think the fact that the first appearance of a possible UFO sighting happened in Egypt kind of tells you that that's not true because um, <laughs> Egypt was already around. So it's fine. Um, anyway, we just uh, were able to lift stuff better back then. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was, right? Um, man. Uh, anyway, <laughs> never underestimate the native civilizations, man. Uh, never underestimate the power of slaves. Um, <laughs> never underestimate what, uh, what, uh, what a civilization can, uh, do when, when they, they don't have to pay for work, when they uh, don't value the lives of a good chunk of the population. Yeah. And don't, and don't have to, uh, pay their workforce. Um, it's amazing what we can accomplish when that happens. That being said, I, I don't know if I, (laughs) I, I also, I also am a, was a big fan of those kinds of like, I fall, I fall into the hole, even though I don't go, I don't go all the way emotionally or, or, or I, I I do kind of keep a certain mental. (laughs) Sure. Gap, but I just yeah. really get suckered into all of those. I just find them kind of spooky and entertaining. Just, yes. just kind of chewing on the idea of fiery discs hovering past ancient Egyptians is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's interesting. Uh, the next, uh, the the next one happened in 218 BC in Rome, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, 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 Titus uh, Livius, who was simply known as Livy. Uh-huh. Um, re- records a number of uh, portents in the winter of this year, including um, a phantom ships had that had been seen gleaming in the sky. Wow, that was in Rome. Uh, then later in Rome, uh, a spark from a falling star was uh, spotted by uh, uh, Pliny the Elder in uh, 76 BC. Uh, two years later. Someone saw a uh, a flame like saucer in the sky, in uh, in Rome again. I miss and the then, flame. Yeah, and then uh, like two hundred and fifty years later, ish, two hundred fifty ish years mm-hmm. later, in one hundred ninety six A.D., um, 
someone saw something that they described as angel hair in the sky, a fine rain resembling uh, silver descended from a clear sky upon the forum of Augustus, also in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah. So there's that. I like uh, to think and- that we're kind of getting glimpses of like how alien arc- like engineering progresses. Like yeah. this is back when we built them like angel hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh so then let's see. So then we'll skip we'll go ahead and uh uh skip ahead to um 1803 in Japan mm-hmm. on uh February 22nd in 1803 a local fisherman reportedly saw a vessel drifting in close by waters. They say when they investigated it, a beautiful young woman they described as having red and white hair and dressed in strange clothes appeared. The fisherman claimed she held a square box that no one was allowed to touch, and she spoke to them in a language they never they had never heard before. Some UFO believers think the story was a credible document of a close encounter of the third kind to Japan. Historians and ethnologists consider it folklore. That's yeah, the the square the red square is very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard? Uh, have you have you like listened to like those that those those interviews with Bob Lazar, that guy that has claimed to been part of that team in the eighties to like go on board the ships and like study them and try to like make sense of what makes them like run? Uh, no, I don't. He's so. really interesting. I mean, if if you believe him, he he uh, he has kind of like the reason he seems so. Uh, the reason I think I think he's become as popular as he is because he sem- he tends to talk in kind of a measured unegotistical tone where he's like, yeah, I was only allowed to go to like the middle section of the ship. Like I, I, I did not have any clearance to go above and below, but what I was allowed to see, it just kind of like the simplicity of it is what seemed to intrigue him the most is that there wasn't a lot of complicated machinery, like a Michael Bay transformer. It mm-hmm. was like, they didn't need any of that because they don't have, they don't have a combustible engine. They don't need it. It just kind of, he, he compared it to, putting a bowling ball on a bed and then like pushing into the middle of the mattress and the bowling ball just kind of goes. Oh, like it, like everything that we have is you put power behind it and the thing moves forward. Mm-hmm. Like that's how planes work. That's how trains work. That's how autom- uh, automobiles work. Uh, but like this thing kind of goes through time and space differently than our stuff. Right. Right. And so yeah. anyway, that's what that's what the red square made me think of. I was like, oh, it's like yeah. of like a tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um Right. <laughs> right. Uh but then uh, then of course then you get into like the nineteen forties with foo fighters and right. um all of that all of that stuff and, and more the the more like uh notable, I guess, uh UFO sightings that that we all sort of know, like Roswell and mm-hmm. um et cetera, et cetera. So I'll, As uh, dramatized in the uh, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, join Paul. Right. Yeah. True. Um, so, uh, so there's, so there, so he talks about UFOs and he talks about lizard people. Oh, so I looked up the, res- re- the reptilian conspiracy theory <laughs> because the thing is like, I, I, I know of this through popular culture, right? Sure. Um, Cause you just, you just hear about it. It's like, well, it's like the favorite conspiracy theory to have like a crazy person in a show or a movie believe, right? It's like, yeah. because it's so insane that it's like, 
It's wow. like how I don't know if kids born after the 90s will remember Bat Boy. Right. But it's sort of taken that place, that mantle. Right. Yes, totally. Um, so I looked up the reptilian uh, conspiracy theory, which um, is the idea that reptilians or the idea of reptilians was popularized by David Icke, a conspiracy theorist who claims shape-shifting reptilian aliens control Earth by taking on human form and gaining political power to manipulate human societies. Icke has uh, stated on multiple occasions that many world leaders are or are possessed by so-called reptilians. Well, it can't be. How how could it be both? What, do you, what is possessed is almost even more insane because it means like it's like a Manchurian candidate situation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, you know, he's got to make sense. He's got to make sense for all the holes in his his idea. So, sure. like, they're, um, yeah, they're a, yeah, there are lizard people, but they're not up close. They're controlling us from afar through like telekinesis, right? Like, uh, like, like, like on The Simpsons, <laughs> right? Yeah, definitely. What are their names? Uh, Kang and Kodos. Yeah, Kang and Kodos. Yeah, it's like them. Um, Those so are the lizard or- people and UFOs. Yeah. So the origins. Well, that's the thing. They they are like the lizard people. They're not. Oh, they're, got it. Lizard people are aliens. Um, I'm so, so mentally in the weeds on Doctor Who that my brain went to that they came from under the earth and they were here before. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I knew where your mind was. That's. <laughs> um. So I think I think before reading up on this, that's kind of what I assumed it was as well. Um. Right. So uh, the origins of this um come from. Uh, so, so a professor at Syracuse university posited that the idea of the, of the reptilian conspiracy actually originated in the fiction of Conan, uh, the barbarian creator, Robert E. Howard. Ah. Um, the first appearance of serpent men in literature was in Howard's story, the shadow kingdom, which was published in weird, weird tales in August of 1929. Um, the story drew on the ideas of lost worlds of, of Atlantis and Lemuria, um, uh, particularly the secret doctrine written in 1888 with its reference to dragon men who once had a mighty civilization on a uh, Lemurian continent. Oh. Is that Howard? Uh, what's that? Is that document real? That hidden document? The secret doctrine? Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think it's a novel. Oh, it's a novel. Okay. I think it's a book. Uh, it's a book originally published as two volumes in 1888 written by Helena Blavatsky. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's meant to be um, – I don't know if it's meant to be nonfiction or not. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, because like, like, you know, Plato's poem about referencing Atlantis exists and is real. Yeah. But like, you know, Bob – you know, I don't know if I'm going to tell you the Atlantis. I also went through a big Atlantis phase when the Disney movie came out. Oh, yeah, for sure. The Secret Doctrine, uh, published in two volumes. The first volume named Cosmogenesis and the second Anthro- Anthropogenesis. It was an influential example of the revival of interest in esoteric and occult ideas in the modern age, in particular because of its claim to reconcile ancient Eastern wisdom with modern science. Mm. Um, so I guess it was like a, th- a theory thing. Part of a series on theos the- theosophy. You know, it's interesting how we 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 live in the society where things like conspiracy theories, or yeah, have, have kind of become weaponized, and they've become actually dangerous. In that, people are yeah. starting to use those ideas to sort of 
create unrest and you know fissure in our society it's just interesting seeing how they i i I almost forget that back in our childhood in the in the 80s and 90s that they were kind of benign and comical yeah yeah oh right yeah they used to just be lizard people and not like right i'm gonna dox this guy yeah so i guess volume one was about her theory on cosmic evolution Mm. um the idea that we evolve from, uh, I guess, people in the stars, um, I assume, or maybe she's more referring to the evolution of the of the cosmos, right? In yeah, general. Um, and then the second part was, or the second volume was about how humanity, uh, the origins of humanity, came through root races, um, and these I'm root not races. Crazy about that phrase but keep going yeah yeah root races uh such as uh let's see uh let's see the first root race was according to her ethereal the second root had more physical bodies and lived in some place called hyperborea Mm. the third root race the first to be truly human is said to have existed on the lost continent of lemuria and the Mm. fourth root race is said to have developed in atlantis hmm so those yeah. are like the four prime kingdoms. Of right. Yeah, I guess so. And then we are the sort of uh, the, the, the mixed puppies. Yeah. I, apparently she wanted to publish a third and fourth volume, uh, but she died. And then oh. this other woman, Annie, Annie Besant, actually uh, published a controversial third volume of The Secret Doctrine, which I have no... Um, no information on <laughs> man. You know, I wonder how much, I mean, uh, I wonder how much, how many, how many I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now I'm reflecting on how many favors L Ron Hubbard was given on account of the patriarchy. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. So back to lizard people, uh, Cause like I, any, any of those could have been like Scientology, you know, Scientology. Yeah, that's true. You're right. I mean, in a way, right. The co- the cosmo, the cosmos, uh, evolution, whatever that's Scientology esque. For sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of like, no, we are descended of prime beings that were more ethereal, and you know, yeah, were, right. You know, so, um, so Robert E. Howard's serpent men. Let's see. Uh, yeah, were oh, described yeah. as humanoids with human bodies and snake heads, who were able to imitate humans at will, and who lived in underground passages and used their shape changing and mind controlling abilities to infiltrate humanity. And then Clark Ashton Smith. Used Howard's Serpent Men in his stories, as well as themes from H.P. Lovecraft, and he, Howard, and Lovecraft together laid the basis for the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then in the nineteen couple of like documentaries on Lovecraft, like yeah, uh, I know very little about Lovecraft, honestly, other than that he's really racist and that. <laughs> Uh, that uh, Cthulhu, the the Cthulhu gods or whatever, um, were like these like it's like a giant head with like these little like squid squid things. Yeah, know. well, yeah. just and just the idea. I, I think he's a he's a from from the distance of history, I find him fascinating. I mean, the idea sure. that he was so uncomfortable with his own with sexuality as a concept, but also his own sexuality that a lot of the Cthulhu creatures, a lot of the creatures in the mythos, reproduce asexually. Mm, interesting they they tend to make themselves or like create children or or, you know broods 
without finding lovers, without like procreating. Interesting. What a weird guy. Mm -hmm. H.P. Lovecraft. Um, Really racist. Never forget. (laughs) Never forget. Really racist. Um, In the 1940s, Maurice uh, uh, Duriel, also Mm -hmm. known as Claude Doggins, uh, wrote a pamphlet entitled Mysteries of the Gobby that described a serpent race with bodies like man but heads like a giant snake and an ability to take human form. These creatures also appeared in Duriel's poem, The Emerald Tablets, in which mm-hmm. he referred to em- uh, emerald tablets written by Toth, an Atlantean priest king. Uh, Barkin asserts that in all likelihood uh, – oh, this is the um, – the the Barkin is the uh, the professor at uh, Syracuse University okay. that was talking Different about theory. the origins of this theory. Uh, he he asserts in all likelihood that Duriel's ideas came from the Shadow Kingdom, uh, the the uh, uh, Robert E. Howard story, right. and that in turn the Emerald Tablets formed the basis for David Icke's book Children of the Matrix, which is um, the book that uh, I guess popularized this reptilian conspiracy theory um alien abduction narratives sometimes allege contact with with reptilian creatures one of the earliest reports was that of ashland nebraska police officer herbert Shermer, born in 1945 who under hypnosis recalled being taken under a ufo in 1967 by humanoid beings with a slightly reptilian appearance who wore a winged serpent emblem on the left side of their chests Skeptics consider his claims to be a hoax. Mm. Um, according to British conspiracy theorist David Icke, who first published on this theme in, in his 1999 work, The Biggest Secret, tall, <laughs> blood-drinking, shape-shifting reptilian humanoids from the Alpha Draconis star system, now hiding in underground bases, are the force behind a worldwide conspiracy against humanity. He contends that most of the world's ancient and modern leaders are related to these reptil- reptilians, including uh, the, the Rothschilds, the Bush family, and the British royal family. Mm. Ike's conspiracy theories now have supporters in up to 47 countries, and he has given lectures to crowds of up to 6,000 people. <laughs> um, American that, writer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, we've ever gotten. <laughs> Actually, that's not well. Not, well, well yeah, I guess more than Chicago. we've ever got. Well, no, actually, that's still not true. That's there were not more true. than six thousand people in that show in Chicago. Oh no, no, no. Oh, I guess live show. Sure, sure. I thought that. you were talking about like people who listen to our podcast. Oh no, like, yeah, we've, we've we've gotten more than. Yeah, we have more than that. Um. So, uh, let's see. Yeah. So then, there's a lot of stuff about um, lizard people in politics, and. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, that's at the bottom of my. Uh, that's the one that I think is the least real. The uh, lizard people in politics, or just lizard people in general? Lizard people as a concept. I mean, okay, it's, an arrest, yeah. it's, it's an arresting image, but like, you know. They made a show about it called V. That's that. That is what that was about with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Wait. No, Wait, I'm, thinking she was in that? Zomb- I'm thinking of the one where there were zombies. I'm thinking of. The- oh, yeah. No, this is V. This was a, this was a show. Um, uh, they made a remake show, but this was a show uh, in the like 80s, 80s right? I think. Yeah, it was a show in the 80s. And then they, they made one, like I think, like 10 years ago. Yeah, 2009. They made a, yeah. a V series with um, Marina Baccarin, where she was uh, 
like the president of the lizard people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm the least convinced. Like, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I, if, if I found, if we found out that there actually were chariots of fire, that that's real. I'm like, okay, crazy, but cool. Yeah. Lizard people. I'd be like, really? The lizard people are real. That's the one, huh? Okay. That's, that's real. Okay. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So he talking about that and then he, and then he mentioned underwater Nazis. Now, this is the one that I had. I went down the deepest hole on because I don't, I couldn't figure out. The, it seems like this might have been a, a conspiracy that um, they made up. Um, sure, they threw two words together. Yeah, yeah, underwater Nazis. But uh, there is, there is, uh, there is, there are some interesting Nazi um, conspiracy theories, sure. uh, and they are related, and they feel uh, like a cousin uh, to or a sibling to the underwater Nazis. So. Uh, Nazi UFOs is a big one. And it's the fact that like, I think it comes from like the Foo Fighters, right? Yeah. Um, and that there is a theory that, um, the Nazis actually went to the moon in 1948. And Mm -hmm. that's where that, that, um, that sort of popular culture thing of space Nazis comes from. Of like, oh yeah, they're on the dark side of the moon, and then they're they're like they're gonna they're they're building their numbers, and they're gonna come back and take over the world, right? Um, Resurgence, right, right. So uh, that theory uh, comes from the fact that um, there is a uh, or or there was supposedly a base in Antarctica, yes, that the Nazis um, built, and that's where they launched their rocket that took them to the moon in 1948. Um, yeah. I definitely and, uh, remember watching like a Netflix documentary or something about Hitler's crazy expeditions to like the Arctic. Yeah. Like, it also bleeds into hollow earth stuff. If you ever, if you ever will fall down that well. Yes, um, it does. Uh, definitely. And that's why that's what was kind of making me think that this was related to that because the Antarctica base, of course, is underground, which is like supposedly in this, area where like you know underground it's like a underground antarctica is like supposedly like you know like this paradise or whatever Mm -hmm. and that's where their base actually is it's it's underground in antarctica in this underground paradise like the hollow earth theory um and that's where they built their uh rocket that took them to the moon and uh you know etc etc and so you know antarctica underground antarctica Antarctica's ice, sort of like water, un- underwater Nazis, it, you know, it it all feels kind of tangentially connected. Sure. So, Bob, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Uh, and, and the theory posits that all of the UFO sightings that were happening in the 40s and 50s and et cetera were all Nazis. Right. Yeah, because that's the thing is it's either are they – are they are they uh, from space or are they from the Earth or is, do we have a Wakanda situation? Right, right. Where we have exactly. pockets of civilization that has tech hither for to unrealized, yeah, unseen by human eyes. Yeah, I'd much rather though that it would it it, it not be a Nazi theory and instead be a uh, Wakanda theory. That would be yeah, way better. I mean, yeah, the Nazis were shitheads. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why everybody wants Nazis to have ultimate power. I don't get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> they did a piss poor job last time. Yeah, I know. They're bad people. I don't. What well, part suck. of this do you not understand, you guys? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> How many goddamn Indiana Jones and Hellboy movies do we need to make? <laughs> um, so then Did the Hellboy last one. The moon? Well, uh, what's that? Did Hellboy ever go to the moon? Was there like a Mike Mignola story where he fights? Yeah, I feel like I can picture Hellboy in like a space suit. I feel There's like that happened. Story. I don't know. I haven't read a lot of those, so I don't know. Um. Okay, so then the last one is uh, the mention of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I love the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, so the the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle or Hurricane Alley. Uh, is a triangle that uh, starts off the coast of Miami, Florida, goes to the island of Bermuda, goes back down to Puerto Rico, and back over to Miami, and it forms a triangle. Florida. Now, in this oh, madness, in this, he talks about how um, Basil has the theory that the Bermuda Triangle is actually a rhombus mm-hmm. um, uh, of uh, two isosceles triangles. Um, put together forming a rhombus and that uh and and that's the i don't know what i want to know more i, I honestly want to yeah. know more because i want to know like what that means like what 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 is he what is he suggesting that that means exactly i hope that's what the scott derrickson movie gets into oh is he doing is that what he's yeah, doing next you know he, he and he and sam Raimi just like switch projects oh interesting okay that's cool um so I looked up all this Bermuda Triangle stuff. Obviously, we know a lot about, um, you know, a lot about like theories about, you know, Amelia Earhart. lost. Yeah, Amelia Earhart, uh, the 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 USS Cyclops, Flight nineteen, um, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the thing that I found really interesting was that this was um, in twenty sixteen. There is a a possible solution to the Bermuda Triangle mystery. Uh, which is that there are um, apparently there is a a type of cloud coverage in this area, and it's also in other areas. And and you know detractors of the solution to this are funny because they're like, well, this isn't a real solution to the Bermuda Triangle because these sorts of uh, cloud coverage happens in other places uh, where where dis- where disappearances take place all the time as well. So what's so special about the Bermuda Triangle? And it's just sort of like. Yeah, that's the point. Like they, <laughs> people did, they disappear everywhere, but for some reason, everyone's hyper focused on the Bermuda Triangle. Um, so, right. so the the idea of this is basically that there are um, these sort of hexagonal shapes in the clouds mm-hmm. that uh, that sort of open up the way that like an eye of a hurricane opens up, mm-hmm. and it happens a lot apparently in this area in particular. Um, however, uh, these hexagonal clouds create 170 mile per hour air bombs full of wind. There are these air pockets that basically just cause absolute chaos on, on anything that tries to go through it, including ships and planes and definitely have the power to sink those ships and down those planes. And Mm so the theory is that. Uh, the the uh, the wind in these air pockets are what is causing ships and planes to disappear when they travel through the Bermuda Triangle because they they lose control of uh of their stuff. Yeah, yeah, That's which maybe- makes sense to me. I mean, if, I mean, it's it's not exciting, but um, you know, I thought it was an interesting read. Yeah, you know, I I, I think we I think we in 
and I don't want to say today's society because I, I, I think I think I think this goes back to us. There's something about us to where we find the machinations or the creations of our imagination, our dreams, to hold more weight than the the miracles of science. Yeah, and just like I don't know, like like bioluminescence. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. it, it, it's so interesting that there are incredible answers that can be proven or 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 illustrated through physics. Right. And yet the the human mind was like, but but Bermuda Triangle important because culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was like I was watching this physicist kind of break down those uh those declassified uh Pentagon videos of the of the UFOs, which I can say now. Because mm-hmm. that's what they called them too, UFOs. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, just how there are uh, there are tons and tons of little minor things and details about physics and light and speed and reflections that can prove or at least hint at what this is, be it footage picked up by the Pentagon or you know by the by the Air Force. Yeah. That doesn't have to be flaming disks from space, right? But can be proven with you know, with stuff that has to do with just life on earth. I'm like, no, even this can happen sometimes. Isn't this this weird? We don't know what this is, but it's on earth. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's conspiracies are very interesting. I find them. uh, It's very enriching or interesting to my fictional brain. Sure. Like I enjoy like chewing on it from a storyteller, just the iconography of stuff involving Atlantis and hollow earth. I'm just like, Oh, but it's, it's activating for me. The same thing that happens when I watch like the mummy. Or mm-hmm. insidious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think like haunted houses and um, you know, uh, sort of artifact. Um, you know, like artifact uh, stuff. Yeah, like going, going back and finding, like, oh my god, like we were we were we were telling stories even longer, even further than we thought we were. Like, yeah, like, these are the oldest drawings by man. Like, oh All my god, that stuff just scratches kind of the same, like kind of occult itch of just like, what if magic was real? You know, like that's kind yeah, of yeah. really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think it's interesting though that this this trope, the um, trope of the conspiracy theorist being the only one who really knows what's going on is right. is such an interesting thing to have happen in Hollywood, especially considering that Hollywood itself is part of a pretty major one of the more accepted conspiracy theories, which is that you know the 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 the, the sort of like Jewish run media thing. Right. So, yeah. oh, this so, is what this is what this is what they don't want you to see, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, that's the thing that I think is so interesting about this trope being a thing because it's like, you're why are you we giving power to these people? <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, it, it's so interesting because on the one hand, you know, Hollywood, there are there. I mean, it, I guess I guess it all depends on like what one's definition of you know conspiracy. I guess imply. I, I remember listening to. Um, there's this podcast I listened to called Hardcore History. Mm-hmm. And I remember the opening preamble that the host Dan Carlin made was that people like to believe in conspiracy because it's comforting to know that even if there is a nefarious web, a nefarious hierarchy, at least there is a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. At, at least the, even a web can hold you like a net, support uh-huh. you, comfort you, keeps you from falling into the abyss. And that abyss is that we are just people waking up every day making decisions. Yeah. And some of those people are presidents. 
Some of those people are World Health Organization doctors, and some of those people go to a 7-Eleven and work right. at a 7-Eleven. But we're all just machines that wake up and just make decisions every day, sometimes yeah. out of love, sometimes out of fear. Right. And like, that's way scarier than like lizard people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And indeed, uh, I don't know. The, 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 I, there's something kind of, hey, in the context of the movie, this moment is super relatable to me. Um, oh yeah, having having the, the 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 crazy guy in your town or whatever, yeah, yeah, and just just the moment where they're like they're they're shit. It, it's just, it's kind of fun. It's fun to see pockets of moments where the gang are enjoying each other's company. Yeah, and the moment where Steven's like, no, no, Gary, I was he was a sad old man, and I just felt bad for him. Like I don't know, like that's like mm-hmm. oh that for sure happened. Where there would be like a homeless person or a kind of a person that wasn't all there, or you know, we didn't have the vocabulary that we do now, even when you and I were kids, right? Of, like. Oh, I wonder if that person has autism, or I, I wonder if that person had his mental health history and now he's homeless because he wasn't taken care of. And bippo right. bappo, there he is. Right. It was just mad basil. Right. Right. And but there was always sometimes like whether it was you or another member of the group that would be a little bit more empathetic or actually talk to that person and try to get yeah to like a person. You know. I mean, right there, that's the proof there that Stephen is the best of them. Right. That's I never thought about that, but that's really true. Yeah. Um, Steve, Steven is, uh, definitely the Gryffindor, I think of the group. I think he's, right. uh, you know, he's, he's the, he's the, 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 the nicest, you know, he's the, he's the kindest, he has a good heart, but he's also, he puts himself out there the most, yeah. um, you and know, he has, and, he, and he, and you know, it gets on a negative, not negative, but he can also, you know, puff his chest a little bit and he takes pride in himself like a Gryffindor. Yeah. yeah. But, he isn't as uh, at the end of the day. He, he's a, he's a guy that's with a decent heart and capable. Yeah. Of even even as a teenager, when you're at your yeah. most selfish. I think uh, I think Gary's a Slytherin. I think that goes without saying. Yes. Um, or or as I like to refer to them, lizard people. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they were all bad. Even the kids. Even at the most bad, they were all bad, and they got sent to the dungeon. I'm just <laughs> And uh, uh, I mean, Pete's definitely a Hufflepuff. Yeah, Pete's definitely a Hufflepuff. And then I think Oliver's Omen probably Andy. yeah. O- o- Omen's probably uh, Ravenclaw, right? Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff? Mm, no, no. Yeah, you know what? He might be Slytherin too. Mm, yeah, I like the idea of Gary and Oman both being Slytherin. I think I think he's a Slytherin too. I think, and that's I think Andy would definitely be a Gryffindor. Yeah, I think Andy's a Gryffindor. You're right. Yeah, he's loyal. Yeah. He's more of a uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Oliver Wood. No, what's uh, Percy? Their, no, their friend who was also maybe the chosen one, but then ended up not oh, being Neville? The chosen. Neville. He's more of a Neville. Yeah, um, ne- like Neville style Gryffindor in terms right. of like, like Pete's very Neville, but at the end yeah. of the day, Neville was a Gryffindor. He wasn't a Hufflepuff. Right, right. He was. He, he's kind of like a low key uh, Gryffindor. You know. Mm-hmm. Like um, that's that's kind of how I feel like yeah that's 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 his deal and then yeah Peter's definitely a Hufflepuff so I think we got I think we got everybody but a, but Ravenclaw uh, is in this group <laughs> just a crew without a Ravenclaw yeah the crew without a Ravenclaw it's dangerous yeah. kind of crew there is <laughs> there's nobody in this group being like we shouldn't do this <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> This is why they got in so much trouble. They need right, a Ravenclaw. Well, Luna was a Ravenclaw, right? Well, yeah, was she? I think, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, 
And then, and then, yeah, they would have they would have died without her. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think I, I I think that um, I honestly though I think that if they had all gone to school post Voldemort like returning or whatever, sure, I think they, they all would have been in different. I think they all would have been in different schools. I think the only reason that they were in the houses that they were in was because the hat knew what they were about to go through. That's amazing. I don't think I've ever thought about that. Yeah, because like I, I don't know. I think Hermione's definitely a Ravenclaw. Like she's a Ravenclaw, like through and through. It's just that she ends up being Gryffindor because she has to. The Hat knew that she was going to have to make courageous choices and decisions. My opinion is that I think if you're a Ravenclaw, the difference between a smart Ravenclaw and a smart Slytherin is a smart Ravenclaw is almost just in love with knowledge for the pursuit of knowledge, right? Like, this is so, I want knowledge, I want to learn. Whereas yeah. a Gryffindor, especially a book, book Hermione, yeah. is more into this is a tool for the betterment of wizard kind. Okay, yeah, sure. If, if I know more, I can do more, which means I can help more. But does she feel that way because of everything that she goes through? Exactly, yeah. The, 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 that's why I still like the, uh, the, the it, it's interesting, the the, yeah. the, the the idea of the mystery hat, the mystery hat. The, the sorting the sorting hat. Hat. <laughs> I'm the mystery hat, everyone. <laughs> Who wants to put me on first? It's a mystery. <laughs> the mystery hat. Was he like playing three dimensional chess of like, okay, we're boned and yes. Yeah. Because well, he he did almost one, but he he if he had had his way, if Harry had just been like, I don't know, fuck it, put me anywhere, I'm eleven. Like, <laughs> Then he would have gone into Slytherin, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. I mean, with that, with that in 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 particular, though, he was almost going to Slytherin because of the 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 Voldemort mark or whatever, right? Because he had like a piece of his soul in him, <laughs> welded um, into him. Yeah, welded into his forehead. Um, you have a little bit of demon soul in you, little boy. That's <laughs> just a just a smidge enough to get you in if you wanted to be there. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Anyway, I I, I, I think um, I, I just uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I guess I just I I really do like this scene. I think it's I think you definitely yeah. do get a sense of like um, what they were like as teenagers here. Um, they definitely fall into their uh, their sort of roles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they're they're laughing when he says. Uh, he was your best friend, wasn't he? And they all laugh like, ah, got him. And I just like, it seems so out of character for them in the moment, but they can't help but slip back into their old roles. Yeah, you definitely. Know? Like they kind of lose themselves a little bit and they become teenagers again. And I'll yeah. be like, oh, Gary, we can't make fun of crazy, <laughs> yeah. crazy old Basil. It really bums me out that they, he says Basil and Basil just sort of nervously looks at them and then looks away. Because um, he's, he's, he's in it. That's how yeah. he survived. Yeah. It's true. Uh, it's good. I will say, though, um, in regards to Gary being barred, um, I am on Gary's side here. I don't care what he did. He was 18. He's 40 now. Like, come on. <laughs> you know? I, I like don't know. It's because those are the only three people in the history. Because there's two other Polaroids. Yeah. Uh, like, that's it. And so yeah. it's like maybe the bartender has been staring at the same three Polaroids for like 30 years. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, I think the big part of it is just that they're blanks and they don't, they don't have that 
in there like they don't they don't have the idea that like oh like he's 40 so he he's changed so we can That's just true. it's fine we just let him go but no they're 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 as stuck in the past as Gary is I think in mm-hmm. a way um, I want to so. say oh no there's like way more than 3 there's 1 2 3 4 yeah, 5 Yeah it's like a whole board Yeah it's a whole board Yeah it's a whole board of people uh, I bet Yeah I do I do think it's ridiculous I, I'm on Gary's side I think this I remember ridiculous. I want to say in the commentary they tell you who those pictures are yeah, they do. I think they're all um they're all like uh people like crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Great Polaroid um, of the gang. Yeah. I like uh, I like how they're holding him back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um all this right, is our well, Joe Rogany episode that we have. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh it was a full hour um that we just did on conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for thanks for doing the work on all that, Scott. Yeah. Uh so you had a nice long Monday. Um I hope everybody can get through this within the week. Uh, I know everyone has less of a commute right now. So Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But uh I hope you enjoyed any of that. Um uh, I thought it was interesting doing the research even though like like I said I'm going to get weird ads now for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Or or um, like, you know, emails from people who are like Scott, it's look. I know. Oh God! <laughs> Please keep your conspiracy theory emails to yourself. I don't know, man. Oh, I this can't. How... I can't wait to see what the what the what the Facebook group looks like. This is how the... Rose ended up on the TARDIS, man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess. Fair conspiracy enough. Her. Um. All right. Well. Uh. Speaking of which, the Facebook group, Cornetto Minute right. Listeners Pub. Go, go, join us and. Tell us all about the the funny information you found about conspiracy yeah, theories that definitely Charles aren't real. About, uh, um, <laughs> triangles. Yeah, uh, and I would be curious about what people think about that trope the the trope of the conspiracy nut who is right, who's proven right. right. Um, like that that Hollywood thing. trope that's in like so many Hollywood movies. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's uh, interesting. And, I guess uh, it's just kind of the irony of like, oh, the person who thought we thought was the craziest turns out to be the most. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I know I know why it's happening, I guess, from a from a narrative standpoint. It's just that, like, I, I guess the fact that, like, Hollywood is part of a conspiracy that it, it feels weird to, like, give credence to conspiracy theorists. Right. The enabler. Uh, yeah. It's like, I mean, you could just, like, not have that character in the movie. It'd be very um, interesting to see how that trope survives into the new decade. Yeah. Yeah, that will be interesting, actually. Will we be a little less forgiving of, like, the lovable conspiracy theorists in a world where, like, conspiracy theories have gotten people murdered? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back tomorrow with Minute 32. But for now, let's boo-boo. What you do to me? What you do to me What you do